Welcome into the Big Apple Sports Talk Show here on VIC Radio, Episode 2. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman. Eli, how you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a good day to be in studio and, and talking Yankees and Giants football with you. Yeah, we got to start with those Yankees. Four, three games left now. A three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays. You look at the Yankees right now, two games up for the top wildcard spot ahead of Boston and Seattle. It's going to be a crazy weekend, Eli. Yankees looking to go back to the playoffs. And, you know, um, this would be the first time if they don't make it that they would miss the playoffs since I think about 2016. You can't imagine them not making the playoffs right now. The way they're playing, the way everything looks, they're two games up ahead um, of the Red Sox in the wild card at the moment. And then, you know, Seattle behind. But it's going to be a fight to the death. Um, right now for these last three games. It's going to be a fun stretch. You know, you look at the competition that um, the Blue Jays are going to have facing the Orioles. You have to assume, even though the Orioles have taken a couple games from the Red Sox, that's been exciting, that the Blue Jays are going to take three of three from, from the Orioles. And that's that's just a fair assumption given how yeah. both teams have played so far. Um, so these three games are a must win. And you, you think about Tampa and everything that's going on with them. And one thing that pops into the head is they have clinched everything that they could possibly they clinch. Do they maybe let up a little bit? Give some backups time? How does that affect the series? You know, do they want to knock these Yankees out of contention? But, yeah, but you know, there's definitely potential. If the Yankees take two out of three games uh, against the Rays, I'd be confident that they're going to be in, and, and that's what they need to do. It's going to be a fun series. I definitely don't think the Rays just want to, you know, lay back and sit out this three-game weekend series. The Rays don't like the Yankees. The Yankees don't like the Rays. These are two of the top teams right now in the AL East. The Rays know how good the Yankees are, and the Rays don't want to see the Yankees in the playoffs if the Yankees can get in. So the Rays are going to do everything in their power to win this series. And then the Red Sox, a team that's you know threatened the Yankees a little bit, but the Yankees went into Boston in that three-game series and just swept them. Boston has a three-game series against Washington. The Yankees have the toughest Three games set down the stretch out of all the teams left, as you mentioned. Yankees, Seattle, Boston, Toronto. Yankees are facing the best team in the AL for the final three games. So if they could get it done more than anything, they deserve it. And they're going to have to go through the fire to get it done. Absolutely. And, you know, some good pitching matchups, especially I'm looking at uh, tomorrow's pitching matchup, Nestor Cortez and Shane McClanahan. That is going to be a fun matchup between two very young, very strong lefties. And, you know, pitching has, has the whole the story of the season has been pitching, leading the way, and offense trailing for the Yankees. And this is going to be so competitive because the Rays are pretty much the opposite. They are a yep. team that pitches and they pitch to the best of their ability, one of the best pitching teams in the league, and they manufacture runs, right? You know, a big story has been home runs this, uh, against the Yankees. They're not – and. The Rays aren't a team that are going to hit home runs. They're a team that are going to play small ball, loop a ball down the line, um, and that's going to be the biggest challenge for the Yankees is preventing these manufactured runs, doing the small things correctly. The defense has not been ideal throughout this whole season it's not. Um, for the Yankees, not even close um, to, to ideal. And in a game like this, that's where it's really going to matter. You know, this is, this is where you think about a Glaber Torres error or a pass ball by Gary Sanchez potentially changing the entire course 
of of the season for the Yankees and their and their playoff possibilities. So it's just about playing the best baseball at this point and taking advantage of those opportunities with running runners in scoring position. We're just so sick of those inning ending double plays when you have a great situation. And if I'm not mistaken, Aaron Judge is in his contract year. Is he not a free agent at, at, at the end of this season or is that the year after? I don't believe so. So it would be it would be so the, the year after. after. But Judge is definitely, you know, knowing that he has that contract or maybe an extension of some sort Coming up, Judge is playing amazing baseball when it matters most. And I even tweeted about it. When you talk about Giancarlo Stanton, all the heat he's gotten throughout this season, it seems that our best players that, we, that we've been just begging to step up um, throughout this season when the Yankees have gone on their cold streaks where the bats have not been alive, those guys have finally got it together. Stanton has just been tearing up the baseball. Judge two home runs last night in the biggest game of the season so far up until this race series, that, that last Toronto game. So Judge has been hitting the ball very well. Obviously, we saw what he was able to do with his glove, making a diving catch in right field. And then, as I mentioned, Stanton hitting the ball so well right now, hitting well with runners in score position, as you mentioned, Rizzo getting involved, Brett Garner hit a home run. The Yankees had five home runs last game. So, you know, finally getting it done when it matters most. This is finally, um, you know, what we've expected out of the Yankees team as fans and the organization and the players as a whole. It seems like they finally have, you know, found their groove and getting hot at the right time. If they can go into the playoffs, finish out this three-game set against Tampa, they could roll into that wild card against who I believe it will be Seattle, actually, who's been so hot right now. I think that if Seattle comes to New York, Yankees could get that done and really go on a roll with how hot they've been. Absolutely, and considering how hot they've been, I think they are definitely in a position to host the wild card game. Yep. That's another huge thing is is home field advantage, especially for a team like the New York Yankees in this market. Um, this race series is just going to be so much fun at home, and you have to think about hosting and that and how that's been. But back to the back to the, um, the team, you know, the home runs as we saw against Robbie Ray. That's that's it. I believe through Robbie Ray's six innings. He gave up five hits. Yeah. All five of them were home runs. We talked about it last show. Is Robbie Ray or Garrett Cole going to be the Cy Young? Robbie last night. Ray Ray didn't look like the Cy Young last night. But Cole didn't look like the Cy Young the game before. Yeah, it's tough. But, you know, know, as I said, five five hits, five home runs. Um, And in a a normal team, a normal game, the Yankees lose that game because of the lack of of manufacturing runs. So it's all about those home runs and about the timeliness of them. Um, You know, that's been one thing that has just lacked so much from this team this season is is home runs. So it was great to see them turn it on against a guy like Robbie Ray. And we talked about it on the last show, the first episode. We were talking about the Yankees and the disappointing season. It kind of has been expecting a bit more. But the Yankees have 91 wins, which, you know, Looking at it from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like that. But if you really look at it, the Yankees have played good baseball. But I think just as fans and the players definitely have expected much more. They didn't expect really to maybe be in this position. They really dug themselves a big hole. Um, you know, Early on in that season, they had a very good May, but just not a good June at all. And they usually have those little hot streaks and they lose seven in a row. It's this you know hole up and down. Right now, eight and two in their last ten. Got that last win against Toronto, so not going on that skid right now. But the thing that worries me about the Yankees, we talked about them getting hot right now. The story of them all year has been when it goes up, it goes down, and it goes down hard. That's what the Yankees have been. They've been hot, and they've been so cold directly after their streak. 
So as fans and the players as a whole, hopefully they can change that narrative. And if they get into the playoffs, they don't get on that cold streak that we've seen. Right, and the time off, you know, may contribute to that. Obviously, even just the, the day before the wild card game that you have, and then the day or two after the wild card game, um, before the division series start. But you know, just looking back on the season, one thing I think about is those April games, the Ugh. very beginning of the season. Brutal. And I believe in April there were two different series where the Orioles took two or th- two of three. Yeah. From the Yankees, and you just go back and you think about those games that. That by a hair, you know, those that horrific game with Domingo Herman against the Red Sox and all those just horrific games we saw this season that were so close and if just one thing went right for them in one situation and they did one thing right in those little situations, you know, a couple games decided by Glaber Torres' errors. There have been at least two this season decided by Glaber Torres' error. If they make those plays, if they perform better in April when the pressure's not on, we're never in this situation, and that's that's a that is a very frustrating part of it. You look back at the Yankees September, they got swept by the Baltimore Orioles, and this is right after that hot streak that they had when they won, I think, about thirteen games straight. The Yankees came off of it, losing three in a row, getting swept by Baltimore. They got swept by Toronto, and then they lost two out of three. Against no swept in a four game series against Toronto and then lost two out of three against the Mets. So the Yankees had a chance to put this season away and control their own destiny after their 13 game win streak. And what did they do? They have done what they've done all year. They got cold and they got cold at the worst time possible. That's why they're in this situation right now, Eli. That's why they're two games up with three games left and they need to, you know, hopefully just win one game depending on what happens with Boston, Toronto, and Seattle, but the Yankees really had an opportunity to not be in this position, control their own destiny, and really have clinched a playoff spot, which they should have uh, have been a while ago. They just got cold at the absolute wrong time. Absolutely, and I feel like a lot of that is the relievers. And really, it feels like in this last few weeks of the season, Aaron Boone and the Yankees completely have figured out that reliever situation. You know, we were so frustrated at the beginning of the season with Zach Britton and Darren O'Day and Brooks Kriske and, you know, all these guys that were coming up and, and more recently Andrew Heaney, who, thank God, has finally been optioned. Yeah, um, that's, that's so, it's, you know, it, it took so long. A flyball pitcher who's a lefty in with a short porch. He's a flyball pitcher. He's just a horrible pitcher. He had a 7-3-2 ERA Terrible. this season. And it's so frustrating how long he was with the team. But it is just such a sense of relief that finally, you know, Aaron Boone and obviously Brian Cashman and that whole front office can finally do away with him after 12 starts. 12 starts. You know, you think about a different situation. But also, it's been so nice for me to see a guy named Michael King return in the last month. Last night against the Blue Jays, he was carving them up. Um, he's he's been a real real missing piece, and just to see you know Clay Holmes' success and Joely Rodriguez, it feels like now finally and the Sevy too come together. Sevy too. We've waited so long and um, six innings and in his time coming off from Tommy John, he's allowed two hits and hasn't allowed a run. Yeah. So it's great to see that coming into the playoffs, and and you know you think back to. That unfortunately painful 2019 playoffs, um, and about how well Sevy performed, um, and and you know how good he can be in the playoffs and be such a big big part. Jordan Montgomery last night too. Ugh. 
He was he's he's so underrated. Yeah, he, he is. is so underrated. And he he brings that sense of you know it's what Sevy has brought to the Yankees before his injury. It's you know really him and Sevy we've seen it throughout their time with the Yankees the last few years. That sense of just you know being comfortable with who's on the mound. You can trust those guys outside of your aces. You know if Garrett Cole is an off game and then Montgomery's going the next day. It was always that sense of relief. Okay, you know what? We could have that bounce back day. We have that guy in Montgomery who doesn't always have the most fantastic starts, but he's not going to have that awful start. He's consistent, and that's what um, Sevy can do. And just it's nice to have Severino back as an arm and as an option for Aaron Boone. Absolutely, but that does get me thinking a little bit because obviously, you know, Tommy John surgery then. A couple, you know, tough rehab time uh, stints. He hasn't pitched more than an inning and two thirds so far this season. But the playoff roster, you know, that's that's big. You want people who are going to be able to give you as many innings as possible, and you don't want to have to worry about an injury. So, do we see him in the wild card roster? Do we see him pitch in the wild card, then see how it goes? And and that is another thing that I feel like you do have to consider in that situation. Well, I'm not sure if they even test him. Um, in the wild card game, in, in in a game like that, depending on the score, you know, it's going to depend to see where they put in Seve. Maybe they can, you know, get him going in this this three game series against Tampa. But talking about that wild card game, you know, I, I was having a conversation with a few people. You obviously have to start Cole because you know Cole's the oh, ace, 100%. Cole's the man. But you know the the starts that Cole's had uh, his last few starts in particular. He's been in big games and he struggled. So, you know, it's it's not something to worry about too much. We know what Cole can do in those big games. That's what he did with Houston. That's what he uh, did, you know, with the Yankees for a little bit in that little COVID season. But Garrett Cole's definitely their guy. It's just I wish that as a fan and for the players mostly that they could be a bit more comfortable with Garrett Cole going into that wild card game because seeing his last start be that that Toronto start um, not being as strong as we hoped is maybe a level of a bit of concern. Absolutely. How can you not be concerned um, um, with Cole right now? Everything everything he's been through this season, so many ups and downs. He has had some very, very tough starts where he's looked nothing like an ace. And if you go look at those starts, he should not be starting this wildcard game. But when he's on, he's on. And I feel like the biggest thing about this Yankees team is – the short leash that Aaron Boone has both had at times and not had at times. And coming into this this wild card game, you think, does Nestor Cortez start this game and do you have a bullpen game? Yeah. Or do you have a you know, Kluber, someone later in the rotation, yeah. come and do you have a piggyback game? Do you have a piggyback game with Cole and maybe he can come out on five days rest after pitching two or three innings in the wild card game? You know, this is a time considering all the ups and downs that the Yankees have had, that I feel like Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone right, might really need a trick up their sleeve. But I feel like Aaron Boone can't risk it with any tricks right now. I feel like with his job on the line, he's got to go with Garrett Cole. Because if he does any tricks and then the tricks don't work out, that I feel like is even worse of a look on Aaron Boone and you know what he's done with the Yankees, not getting to where they've expected to go the last three years, and that's to appear in a World Series. And I feel like in a wild card game, if he doesn't go with their ace, who they're paying so much money in Garrett Cole, I feel like that's just something that he can't do. He cannot risk that. Completely, and I'm definitely just like thrown out there for the wild card game. Yeah, I feel like I do feel like beyond. Well, who's that. 
Beyond who, that, who's gonna go you. Sunday? Because right now they don't even have a a guy. It's uh, it's to be determined right now for Sunday. It's Waka for for Tampa, but the Yankees don't have a guy in the I mound right Clark now. I think Clark Schmidt might be coming up to make a start. Okay, I I could be wrong, or you know they wouldn't they don't they wouldn't want to have a bullpen game that close to the playoffs. Obviously. Well, do you think Clark Schmidt would make the start if that game was really had such serious implications? Because Sunday could be. So, you know that's that could make a break. That's a good point. It really comes down to it, um, and it comes down obviously to the standings and how how Toronto and Seattle and Boston all perform in these in these last few games. And it could be you know one of those one game one sixty two situations uh, where it wouldn't be one of the one sixty twos where obviously um, both teams have those implications, but where the Yankees season is gonna come down to that final game. And if so, they're gonna have to pull out all this, all the stops, and that might be, that might wind up being the bullpen game um, that I talked about as that as that trick. So Eli, we have to talk about Bronxy the turtle <laughs> that Nestor Cortez has brought to the team, and he, the turtle got brought to the Yankees clubhouse during their seven game win streak that ended two nights ago. But you know, to me, I I love that. First of all, we all love Nestor Cortez Who as fans. It? How can you not? And then. For the turtle to be brought to the Yankees as that little spark plug, I love that the, that that the Yankees are you know that bond obviously that they have in the clubhouse. But I always love that little something like having the turtle. The when the um when the St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series a few years back, Round they squirrel. yeah the uh, squirrel. So they had that little something when the uh, Boston Red Sox won the World Series. They had the beards going. So the Yankees have that little you know that little um spice to their team right now with that Bronxy the turtle. It's fun to see. It's fun to see social media's reaction too. Yankees Twitter has had had a lot of fun with it. They need to they need to have a little Bronxy the turtle to, to present him for the player of the game is what they should do. Put him on put him on your head when you're the when you're the player of the game. Where do you think the Yankees you know go if they? So first let's let's just look at that wild card game. Let's say the Yankees do get in. Do you are you more confident in them facing Boston or Seattle team that's won four in a row and is nine and one in their last ten? That's crazy. Tough. That's tough. Seattle. Another thing is the familiar familiarity with the team, right? Yep. And do you want a team in Boston that you're familiar with, that you've played, I believe, what is it, sixteen times? Yep. Yep. Um, in one season, or, or a Seattle team that you've played for six games over the course of a season? Um, it's that's really what it comes down to, and I feel like they are two very similar teams. Seattle is young and hungry. Boston is is an upcoming team, um, but Seattle really really wants is one of those teams that just looks motivated to to make a push. They're motivated recently to as one of those teams to just come out of absolutely nowhere and make a serious World Series push. And we've seen that this last week of the season how dangerous they can be. So that's why I think I'd have to go with Boston, um, just because of the rivalry, the fam- the familiarity that the Yankees have with that team. Obviously, they looked very, very good in this last series against Boston, and Seattle is just too young and hungry at the moment. I feel more comfortable facing Boston because, as you mentioned, Seattle's hungry. They have not made the playoffs since 2001. Me and Eli were not born the last time the Mariners entered the playoffs. And as Eli mentioned with the Mariners, the playoffs we've seen, it's kind of like the Yankees in 2017. Not a super, super talented team, but they were hungry. They were back. They made that push. They had that little, that nice run finally going to that game seven against the Astros. 
the Mariners are a team that no one wants to face as a fan, and I feel like the Yankees as a whole would rather face Boston. As you mentioned, they were able to just sweep them, and they'll also be at home getting Cole in the mound. Boston has already announced that if they make the wild card, they're going to go with Nathan Avaldi. And the Mariners are a hungry team. I do not, as a fan, I would not want to see us host Seattle. Seattle is just too rally hungry right now to, I feel like, go out in a wild card game. Absolutely. I got to agree. And Nathan Avaldi, you know, the former Yankee to add to it, but he's had some really some serious struggles against the Yankees this year. Yeah, that's another thing um, that you got to put into your head. And it was it was actually I don't know if it was last year or two years ago against the Rays, um, where he really got beaten up by the Yankees. So it does it does put a little extra motivation when you think about that. Um, in terms of my confidence going or Boston coming to New York with our crowd and seeing the Yankees come away with a victory. You know, the way you picture that game in your head, Nathan Avaldi versus Garrett Cole, how can you not see the Yankees coming away with that? Don't you almost feel bad for Toronto if they, like, you know, obviously if they're not out of it yet, game back, anything could happen. They could beat out the Yankees for all we know, but this Toronto season, this team has been so good. Their bats, we talked about it last show, Vladimir Guerrero, Simeon, Bo Bichette, they have just, they have dominated with the bats all year, and if they don't make the playoffs, especially with the year that Robbie Ray had, I just feel for the Toronto fan base and and, and the Blue Jays players. How can you not? How can you not? Um, they are such a good team. This series has been so much fun, even though the Yankees obviously have, have come out on on top. Um, seeing Vladdy and Bo Bichette is just so clutch. It has been a lot of fun to watch and play. Um, and to add to it is is this is the the home stadium. You know, you think about that. The the Rays or the Blue Jays had three different home stadiums this year. It's been a tough season for them. You know, bouncing around, they've handled it so well. And the fact that they're a game back with with the two other teams in the AL East, um, or plus the Mariners. But it really it really goes to show that it's it's a 162 game season. You know, baseball is always I wouldn't say criticized, but it feels like there's a little bit of an asterisk next to each season just because of, compared to other sports, because of the fact that there's 162 games. There's a lot of games, and, you know, as we were talking about going back to April and a couple of the early September games for the Yankees against the Orioles, every single game matters. Um, and, you know, you really hope the Blue Jays get into the playoffs considering how, how hard they've worked and, and the improvement and this young team. Um, but they're going to be in it for a while. They're going to be in it for a very long time. And you look at Boston, you maybe even honestly look at the Yankees. How how long, you know, this Yankees team, would we say it's on the come up? Yeah. It's with the money that they've spent. It's it's definitely a win now team. But, you know, they have they have the young pieces, too, to, you know, uh, be good for the, you know, for the coming years if they can keep the core together. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's just so tough, too, considering, you know, we think of Stanton and Judge as old. Yeah. And in in the make of everything, I think Judge he's what twenty seven, yeah, eight around there. And and we think he of might him twenty nine. We think of him on a decline in his career, and and same thing with Stanton. And you he's twenty nine. Twenty nine years old, um, and it feels like for the last since two thousand nine, twelve years we've been saying every year, next year. Yeah, looking towards the future. I remember when Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez and Judge that year. I think it was 2015 or 16. Yep. that they were all coming up. We're like, how good is this team going to be next year? Okay, how good is this team going to be next year? What about the year after? Yeah, that? and it's just been such a disappointment every single year. 
and that they keep spending money to you know bring in these players. This is the year that they got to get done. <laughs> Yankees three games left against the Tampa Bay Rays, two games up on the wild card. Hopefully next week on the show, Eli and I will be talking about the wild card game if the Yankees are successful at that point. But hopefully we're talking Yankees playoff baseball. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're talking New York Giants football previewing their game against the New Orleans Saints this Sunday and talking about the disappointment they have been so far starting the year 0-3. Stick with us. Hey, besties. If you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding health care. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow IC Generation Action on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Want to help bring a little more love to your campus community? IC Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. Welcome back to the Big Apple Sports Talk Show here on VIC Radio. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman. Now talking about the New York football giants. Eli, an 0-3 start for the second year in a row. The Giants have just looked, you know, they've looked awful. Two games, two heartbreakers against Washington and Atlanta. Missed opportunities, not being able to close out these games and, you know, being in the basement of the NFC East once again and now facing off against a good New Orleans Saints team. They've just been extremely disappointing to start the year, Eli. Disappointing would be the biggest understatement. They've just been horrific. Um, um, there's no way, no way to beat around the bush. They've just been horrible, especially considering all the expectations. You know, you know, as we talked about last week, you look at this roster on both sides of the ball, a young quarterback, some young receivers, Saquon Barkley in the backfield, all the potential that they have, and they've just been horrible um, in every aspect of the game. And I saw some crazy stat the other day. Um, Leonard Williams has obviously been with the team for a long time. He's a veteran. Um, he had some, some not-so-great things to say and just you know, voiced his frustration to the media. But I think it was 12 straight September losses that, he, that he's had um, to start off the season. And there's no way to, to find success later in the season when you can't win in September, especially looking at the teams they faced. You know, the fact that they really just got destroyed against the Falcons, um, a team that has just been so bad, the Broncos, 
you know, handing them a 27-13 and 13 loss. Uh, so the season just feels like a waste so far. And it's just so frustrating to see everything uh, uh, that's been happening, especially coming up against the Saints, where they're not going to have Darius Slayton or Sterling Shepard uh, due to injury. Just something else to add to the pain so far. I'm just so frustrated looking at all these scores of these games. They got they they got demolished by the Broncos. They looked awful that game. Saquon Barkley was non-existent, obviously his first game back. Daniel Jones leads this team in rushing. Kenny Galladay has been non-existent for the first three games. Sterling Shepard, our best receiver so far, is out. The Saints are a top defense so far to start the season. And this is what I look at when you look at the Giants. I feel like everyone on this team, and I feel like what they've tried to do, bringing in Joe Judge, they have tried to replicate what the teams used to be in 2011, 2007, and the years with Bill Parcells. Joe Judge, you are not Bill Parcells or Tom Coughlin. Saquon Barkley, you are not Tiki Barbara or Brandon Jacobs or Ahmad Bradshaw. Kenny Galladay, you're not Plaxico Burris. I feel like everyone wants to everyone wants to recreate this honeymoon of going back to the Super Bowl with this like hard nosed team with all these former players we once had and kind of recreating that narrative. We have to find our own narrative. We don't have to be this hard nosed disciplined team because it's not working. Joe Judge is trying to act like he's you know this this coach that everyone wants him to be, but the Giants have looked so undisciplined. They literally lost to the Washington Football Team. Because they were undisciplined. Dexter Lawrence jumped off sides on a field goal and he was right under the football. Against the Falcons, penalties and dropping interceptions to win games. The, the Giants are in no way are disciplined. And, you know, on top of that whole entire rant, Joe Judge came out and said five days ago, quote, we'll be all right, guys. Okay, we'll be all right to the media. We'll be all right. We're 0-3 again. It's we're we're literally the laughing stock of the NFL besides maybe the Jets and the Jaguars. I'd say we're worse than the Jets and the Jaguars right now. Just just because of the team camaraderie, you know, as we discussed last week, just this entire team as a whole in every aspect, but especially, you know, as you mentioned, them trying to recreate that and trying to come together, build a good bond. There's just no bond. None. I I just I'm so curious what the clubhouse vibes are right now. In that, in there, in the locker room, I feel like it has to be, it has to be dead silent, and no one has to be talking to each other. I feel like the communication in the huddle right now must be horrible, considering the penalties and, as you said, just discipline and everything's coming from the top right now. That's why it's so frustrating for this team. Is is all the problems are, are starting from the top and coming down from the coaches, from the coaching staff to the players at this point in time, and coming in against the Saints. I mean, they're a good team, but depending on how they play this week, I'm going to want some changes after Sunday. 100%. And I, you know, I tweeted a stat today about Joe Judge's starting record through his first, I think it's through his first 19 games, 6-13. and 13. Do you know who was also 6-13? and 13? Pat Shermer. And Pat Shermer was fired after his second season. And just so you know, Pat Shermer had a first-year Daniel Jones and a last-year Eli Manning and was able to, at times, be what Joe Judge is right now. And everyone hated Pat Shermer. People liked Joe Judge because the Giants were in playoff contention last year and they were in a crappy division and they were 6-10. and 10. So that's why Joe Judge gets a pass. The first coach ever that I've seen has gotten a pass for going 6-10. and 10. If the Giants were six and ten and they weren't in contention, 
Joe Judge right now would be getting a lot more hate. I you know I believe Eli that if Joe Judge starts the the season zero and four for the second consecutive year, Pat Sherman never did that. Zero and four two straight years. You know we're blaming a lot of things. You know we're going to talk about it. Jason Garrett and others. The blame's got to have to start being put on Joe Judge, the head coach, the leader of this team, because it is unacceptable in the National Football League to go zero and four two straight years. Absolutely, just how everything you completely right in everything. And I think about to when Joe Judge got hired, everyone was talking, oh, he's a special teams guy. He's going to be so creative. We're going to see a lot of fun plays, a lot of excitement. We jumped and off sides on special teams to lose a game. Not only Crazy. that, but just the play creativity has been so bad. And I don't know if, if that is Judge at fault, if that is Garrett at fault, if that is Daniel Jones at fault. But just the play calling. We have... The amount of times where there's just no one open against a defense like the Broncos or the Washington football team where there's just no one open. Or when a linebacker is left unblocked and comes in and hits a running back up the middle. Just the amount of small plays and the small things that you need to get done to be even a mediocre team in the National Football League. The Giants have done absolutely none of that. Jason Garrett is not a good play caller. We have seen that with his tenure with the New York Giants. He's conservative. He's old school. He's not creative. It, it doesn't work. The Giants were the worst offense in the NFL last year. And, you know, so far this year against the Falcons, which is a horrendous defense, the Giants scored 14 points. And every time they were in the red zone, they never converted. They're not utilizing Kenny Galladay. They're not utilizing their first round wide receiver draft pick, Kadarius Toney. It's, it's absolutely embarrassing. What the Giants are doing right now, they look awful to start the year. And with all the money that they've spent, Leonard Williams, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, who is now out for the year, Kenny Galladay, and and they are so bad. And everything I look at, Jason Garrett's not a good play caller. He has to go. But it's at the same time, you look back at you know the history of this team over the last five years, two GMs. Five head coaches and multiple coordinators, and nothing has worked with all these different rosters. And that's where it gets to the point, Eli, I know I've said this to you before, you have to start looking at ownership. Because if you're so bad for so long, and you're doing so many changes with GMs, coaches, coordinators, and nothing's working, then there's no one else to look at or point to besides the owner. Absolutely. And you think about you know the culture in New York sports in general, now, even the Jets and how they've how bad they've been, there's always been something to look forward to, right? You know, this team now, the Jets obviously have been horrible. That's another understatement this season. But they have that team to look forward to. They have a future to look forward to. They have Zach Wilson to look forward to. And, you know, at first, Giants, said, Giants fans said that when they drafted Daniel Jones. And then immediately after that season, there's just been nothing to look forward to. Just nothing. And... That And as you said, it, it does come from the top, and there does need to be some change if this really is the case, if this really is the culture in that locker room. I feel like Sterling Shepard is almost numb because Sterling Shepard's been on this team since 2016, the longest tenure giant. 2016, yes, they made the playoffs, but then since then, they have been horrendous. 0-2 to start every single season. They you know have not made the playoffs since 2016, so... Sterling Shepard, that longest tenured player, he's been through the GMs. This is his, you know, second, uh, sorry, third head coach. 
Sterling Shepard, every time you look at him on a press conference, he has to keep saying, you know, I trust my guys. We're going to get back out there. We're going to get this right. I don't know if he even believes that anymore because he is just almost, he's, he's got to be numb to losing because that's all he has been, you know, used to with the Giants. Six and ten when the Giants, the Giants were six and ten last year is the best record they've had since that 2016 season. Just, they've finished fourth in this horrible East division. This division has just been horrible for the last five, six years. And they finished last in that, in that division for three of the last four years. <laughs> it's it's completely embarrassing. And last year, as I mentioned, we freaked out that they were 6-10. and 10. Oh, they just missed the playoffs. No 6-10 and 10 team should be in contention to make the playoffs. And the fact that fans were freaking out about that, I almost feel sick to my stomach that I was freaking out about that. And I thought that the Giants built a culture and could build off a 6-10 and 10 season. 6-10 and 10 is... Bad. You're four games below 500. You're not good. And the Giants have shown this year that they are a 6-10 team, maybe worse with you know what they've been of late over the last few years. And I think if you look through all their records, it's been 3-13, Like it's It's just, it's nauseating at this point. And you think about one thing, you know, I think about when I'm just looking at a little a little list of the past couple of seasons and how everything's gone. It's when Odell Beckham abruptly just left, right? Yeah. And that was such a frustrating thing as a Giants fan when you have your best player pretty much come out and say, I don't like this team. I don't like the culture here. I don't like the coaching staff here and leave. And we all just have been blind to, you know, that. it feels like that was the starting point. Just looking at, you know, they, they've won... 10 games in four seasons since Odell left. That's just the start. And obviously that was a different coaching staff with Shermer, but it was still the GM and Gettleman. And everyone worried about, because Gettleman let Norman walk. He wasn't going to be afraid of letting anyone walk and trading away anyone. He said multiple times, no, we're keeping Odell. We're not trading him. And he traded Odell. And for how it's worked out now, Jabril Peppers has not been on the field at all this year for some sort of reason. He's playing like 50% of snaps. Last year, yes, he was good. And Dexter Lawrence has been solid. But our receivers have been our biggest problem since Odell has left. That was, we signed him five years, $95 million the next year, that next offseason. Dave Gettleman trades him. Why sign him? We still have to pay him the year after. You know, there's things that Dave Gettleman has done that, I'm like, okay, I like that draft pick. You know what? I, I like how he's revamped the defense. But the things that he said that he was going to fix, he's not fixed. He yeah, said he was going to fix the offensive line. The offensive line looks so bad. He brought in Nate Solder, which was you know an absolute bust. We just lost Nick Gates, obviously. But the O-line has not gotten better for one. And for two, his hog mollies that he brings in, there's been zero pass rush. The two things he took pride in, pass protection and pass rush. Neither of those things have been existent in the Giants for Dave Gettleman's tenure. No pass rush. No offensive line protection for Daniel, for Daniel Jones or um, you know the two years where Eli was with Dave Gettleman. None. They have two guys older than 28 years old. Logan Ryan, who's 30. Graham Gano, who's 34. There's just no experience in the team. And that's, that's another thing you think about. What if you do bring in 
a big time, no matter how old, how bad. Actually, Rudolph, too. So make that three players in the 32-year-old Kyle Rudolph. There's just no experience in this team. No, Kyle Rudolph has the most winning experience out of everyone on this yeah, and the Vikings, roster. And the Vikings go out in the first round of the playoffs almost every year. Exactly. At least he's played in the playoffs more than anyone on this entire New York Giants roster. And Logan Ryan's 30, and yes, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. We understand that. But there's no one on this team that is in, you know, like Logan Ryan's a safety. There's no, like, wide, there's no one on the offense, actually, that knows how to win. Our quarterback does not know how to win. Kenny Galladay was in the Lions. He does not know how to win. Saquon Barkley, since he's been in the NFL, does not know how to win. Sterling Shepard has only been on losing teams. Darius Slayton, same for him. You know, Kyle Rudolph, sure, some wild card appearances. Um, you know, don't get me started on Nate Solder. You could say whatever he wants. He was on the Patriots. That's just the Patriot way. Nate Solder had nothing to do with that. He's, you know, Bill Belichick and that whole organization let Nate Solder walk for a reason. And then we brought him in for, you know, so much money. The Giants are just, you know, there's no one on the team that knows how to win and has that just, you know, that dog in them. Like, okay, I'm going to take this team and put it on my back. Because we thought Kenny Galladay could be that guy or Saquon Barkley. And both of them have just been, you know, either injured or just not performing. And, you, you know, you mentioned Logan Ryan with the Patriots and, you know, that, that Patriot way. And you think that's where Judge came from, too. He was the special teams coordinator up in New England. Are these people trying to embed that Bill Belichick culture here? Because obviously discipline wise, it's, it's not been the case. Are they trying to do the opposite? You know, do the, what exactly do they take? from these prior experiences in the NFL. And, you know, you think about every team is a melting pot of so many different people from so many different teams and experiences. And we just look at the team and it feels like there's nothing. It just feels like there's there's no name that, that pops out. There's no names that, that come together that make you think these guys would be a great combo. Yeah. A great bond. These two cornerbacks or these two safeties, they play very well together. That defensive line on the corner, having these two guys to, to pressure the same quarterback at the same time, that's a good combo. There's just nothing. Just nothing for the Giants right now. And where has Leonard Williams been? The contract the Giants gave Leonard Williams 11.5 sacks last year, and I know it's only three games in, but where is our pass rush? Our Gi The Giants are 10th in the NFL so far in blitz rate, and they're bottom in the league in QB hits. We're blitzing top half of, of of the league and we can't get QB hits still and we're blitzing. Unbelievable. And guess what? Blake Martinez out for the year ACL injury so now Tay Crowder who was Mr. Irrelevant last year is now leading the defense as their middle linebacker. Five sacks on the season this team has. Two for Azizio Ojolari who you know second rounder out of Georgia it seems like Dave Gettleman always hits on his second round picks but you know, Kadarius Tony talking about draft picks. Why are the Giants not using Kadarius Tony? Why? He's a first round wide receiver. That's a guy that is an impact now player. If you get a receiver in the first round or a running back, it's an impact now. Impact right now. And Kadarius Tony has been treated like a first year quarterback who they don't want to put into the fire yet. He's a wide receiver. Let's go. Let's see what he can do. He's been in for nine plays this season. Kadarius Tony, nine. It's just, it's just horrible. Evan Ingram making a return. You know, hopefully, you know he's had his on and off years. Maybe they can put him in there somewhere. Devontae Booker in the backfield. Maybe if Saquon continues to 
be non-existent the way he has been. Yep. You know, it feels like it feels like there are options on this roster, and you know, as I said, there's so many things you would like to change, but just change up the team, the the way you're playing, guys, the schemes, just change. And I and I feel like deep down, Eli, they can't be this bad. I really think they just have to, and it's a matter of time if they turn it around. I want to believe Joe Judge. He's saying that we're going to be all right. This is the week to change it. We don't want to be zero and four again. You're going to this. Uh, you're you're going to play in the Superdome. It's the Saints' first game since the hurricane at home. You know they're a good team. Sean Payton coaches very well, and Jameis Winston's playing ball. They have a nice defense, but you know we haven't really talked about the Saints game. We've just you know that's what we do. We ran about the Giants, but they're so bad. But you look at their next few games. So they Denver, Washington, Atlanta. Not a hard start to the season. Now they have at Saints, at Dallas, home against the Rams, who look like Super Bowl contenders, home against the Carolina Panthers, who are 3-0, playing their best football, and then you go to Kansas City on Monday night and then host the Las Vegas Raiders in then a bye week. That might be one of the hardest stretches and in the NFL. And then the Bucks, Yeah. And then the Bucks after their bye week. And then the Eagles, too. who we can't beat. Where does it stop? It, 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 it doesn't stop. The, you know, the Giants got to stop the bleeding this week. When they go to play the Saints, the Giants have the talent to get it done. Yes, there are injuries, but you know they have their number one. They have their number one wide receiver out there. They have Kenny Galladay, and hopefully you get more time to Kadarius Tony. Let's see if they finally use him, and then Saquon Barkley. Time to break out. T- time to get it going right now. Week four on the road. Let's go. If he's not 100, percent he shouldn't be traveling with the team. He shouldn't be anywhere near this team. He shouldn't have any snaps. If he is 100%, as they've pretty much they've pretty much come out and said he's at 100%, then why is he not getting these snaps? Why is he not getting these handoffs? It just doesn't make sense. On a lighter note, talking about um, the, you know the New York Giants, Eli Manning was his jersey was retired in that halftime of the New York Giants Atlanta Falcons game on Sunday, and you know talking about Eli and his brother Peyton. The Manning Show on Monday Night Football has been great to watch. I have loved it so far. Peyton, really that leader, he's the host. And Eli, you know, since he's retired, that, you know, the cracking the jokes, you know, Eli is just such a funny guy. And the show so far, there's been a lot of talk about it. Eli, I've really enjoyed it. Me too. And I feel like it is going to be, you know, such a revolutionary thing in the game, especially the guests that they're having. Right, that's another that's another big thing. Having you know LeBron James come on an NFL ESPN broadcast and talk football, and you know they had I think it was Will Ferrell in Week One, um, just these these comedians and all these guests, and I feel like that is a hint to, you know of what's to come in the sports media industry too. You know, think about all the guys you would love to sit down and watch a football game with, and they're bringing them into this new environment and also having the ability to have Eli and Peyton, some real greats, break down the game, opposed to Joe Buck or Chris Collinsworth, whoever it may be, uh, discuss. Yep. And so it's just revolutionary. That, that's what it is. And, yeah, that's you know that's a way where um, you know people can definitely watch the game in uh, you know a new form. But the one thing I don't love about it at times is sometimes just missing the action of yeah. the game because you get so caught up to what – Eli and Peyton and, you know, their amazing uh, guests that they bring on, as you mentioned, LeBron James, sometimes you miss, you know, 
you know, in, in, I, I think I missed an interception the last time I was watching them, and sometimes they don't do a good job talking about it. So they definitely do have to improve. They definitely still have to, you know, give that broadcast analyst once in a while. And for me, I still love the, you know, the the crew with Steve Levy and Lewis Riddick on the true Monday Night Football crew. But it's a nice option to switch over to Peyton and Eli, um, especially if, you know, the game's not great or the two teams are not exciting or you just, you know, even don't love football. But it's a nice conversation between the two and they have that great chemistry. And, you know, Eli, if you just, you know, go online and just look at some of the highlights from um, Manning Monday Night Football, Eli was cracking some really good jokes and it was just very entertaining to watch. It's fun to watch. He's a totally different person now in retirement. Had the Twitter account too come out, makes a lot of jokes, you know, talks with fans a lot, and and it's it's pretty funny to see. Another thing is Peyton. I recently saw this. He might be going into the ownership with the Broncos. He wow. Might be joining John Elway um, at the top for them. So that's an interesting thing too. But honestly, I I honestly couldn't watch um, the the you know Monday Night Manning simulcast just because of as you mentioned. Um, um, the game, and and that's what I I really care about is is the game on TV. Yep. Um. So if there's some way they can they can integrate them both, have them do the same thing but different than um than the regular broadcast and commentate the game as it goes. What if you have, you know, these comedians and they're when the, when they come on they don't interview they do play by play. Yeah. How much fun would that be? Yeah. Instead of a mid game interview. Oh, that'd be a great calling idea. Them. Oh yeah. Uh, that would be, you know, that would also just be like funny as well, and you know, at least you're able to watch the game a little bit more because it just seems like times they're just having a conversation about something that has nothing to do with the game, and then they just miss the action, they miss some fumbles, they miss you know important parts of the game, and I love watching some of the highlights of the cast, but I can't always tune in because I, I, you know, missing those important opportunities from the games at times is just you know sometimes frustrating. Pat McAfee joined the show too, and, yep. and you just think about. You know the sports media revolution that that's going on. We're really we're really at the at the start of it, the yeah. middle of it. You know that that coming up and and the Pat McAfee show too has been has been such a big thing in independence. That's another thing. You know ESPN runs this. Also Eli Manning. Did you see he's starting the YouTube channel with the Giants? Yeah, he's starting the Eli Manning he's show. The Eli Manning show. So yep. that's that's gonna be a lot of fun and seeing these athletes have their own independence beyond the game. Yeah, and you know Pat McAfee, his show is. <laughs> great as well it's you know it's not as business like as most sports shows that we've seen in the past it's more casual it's more for the viewer and you know that definitely is a way that sports media is going but i also still love the you know the business and the the um you know the more suited up way that games and you know commentators and shows that are done the uh, sports centers and you know those those regular crews that you see on sunday but uh, it's it's nice to have that variety, and it's just an all around great show. And I loved when they brought on LeBron because that story about LeBron having offers to play in the NFL with obviously the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones, and then Pete Carroll sending him a jersey. If LeBron went to the NFL, there was you know there was a talk about that on on first take. That would have been you know crazy if LeBron was able to take a stab <laughs> at that. I don't know what position would he play. Well, you know, he obviously brought up receiver. He was a high school receiver. I don't see him as a high school receiver, uh, as a NFL receiver, no way. because no way. six eight, getting your legs taken out. And we've seen LeBron in the. I think LeBron is tougher than when he shows in the court. I think he flops sometimes, just you know, to get the call. I think though that, um, and I think this is what was brought up on. I think it was on first take. Um, someone said it might have been Stephen A. 
LeBron being a defensive end, going after the quarterback, you know, not having to take in those hits because, you know, being a tight end or a wide receiver, you have to just be able to absorb those hits. And there's a big difference between the high school hits and the NFL hits. But LeBron is still just a freak of nature. So if he wanted to take a stab at it, I feel like he would, you know, be able to succeed somehow, somewhere. I mean, just just the athleticism, of course. But such a big guy in, in that sport makes me think about Russell Wilson playing with the playing with the Yankees. Yeah, and then Tim Tebow going to the Jags. Tim Tebow, oh my God, Tim Tebow with the Jags. That was just that block. You saw that block yeah. he had. That was just horrible. And Russell Wilson got a standing ovation with the Yankees in spring training, and he struck, struck out, out three, on pitches. three pitches. Yeah, so you know. There's, there's, there's those things like that, but you know, LeBron's. That would have just been cool to see if the NBA actually had a 2011 lockout and LeBron goes to the NFL playing for the Dallas Cowboys. That would have just been special to see because he is just. You now LeBron's a specimen. I, I, you know, I know we're talking about, um, you know, the Manning show, but you know, LeBron's just always an exciting athlete to watch. And going back to the, to the, you know, Manning show and all that, one thing it makes me think about is, you know us as sports media people getting into the business a big thing is battling out those athletes yeah right? and that's such a big thing every broadcast has one or two spots of two or three dedicated to those analysts those former players those former coaches right and there's so many fewer spots for those who don't have that for those who don't play in the nfl or the mlb or the nba and what if there is an opportunity to have a broadcast of you know, as you mentioned, those suited up, completely professional, non-sports people. Yeah. And a different option or, or just something else to, to incorporate all these different walks of life to an extent. And not to, you know, put anything against the athletes that do, you know, color commentation on, um, you know, color commentary on football games, basketball games. But at times, I know professional broadcasters that could do better than the color commentators. 100%. Because the color commentators 100%. are there as, you know, their face. Oh, this guy played in the NFL. But it's not always about what they know, the knowledge. It's how you present the knowledge and how you are on air. And, you know, I've only played high school football, but I know that if I was, you know, 20, 15 years down the road and I had to do color for a football game, I feel like anyone could do color for a football game because if you're broadcasting the game for that long, you understand it enough to present things the right way. That chemistry with the broadcaster, it doesn't always need to be an athlete that understands everything if they can't present it correctly. Absolutely, and you know that's that's something that you definitely think about throughout this industry and all those people being hired and definitely makes you want to play sports for longer because it's, it is a different perspective and I do feel like it's very very valuable to you know to have that in the booth to an extent. But some of these you know, some of these people, yeah, I, I'm mainly looking at ESPN and also yeah. the Fox Sports broadcasts where it's, it's you know, Boomer and um, and all these guys and then the baseball where it's A-Rod and Ortiz and Frank Thomas. Like, do I really want to hear from no, these no, people? No, no, David Ortiz should not be on <laughs> D- – David Ortiz should not be on air. David Ortiz should not be speaking <laughs> on air over some of these other guys that are just more suited up and are just more – experienced and are just better broadcasters than David Ortiz. And then you look at shows on ESPN, like, you know, um, there's there's guys that come on, like Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan is not a good on-air personality. He's not, and he is Rex Ryan, so that's why they bring him onto the show, and he has this extra experience, but he doesn't present it as well as, you know, some other guys that come on the show and that aren't athletes. An athlete that does present things, a former athlete that, that presents things very well, Ryan Clark. 
You see him on Red Get Up Clark all the time. Amazing. amazing. But and you know, and if you can do an amazing job and you can beat out the broadcasters, that's one thing. But an athlete to come into the industry and beat out broadcasters just because they're athletes and they cannot present things better than the athletes, that sometimes, you know, is frustrating coming from young broadcasters like ourselves. Tim Tebow on college game day. Yeah, no. 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 And there's you know, and there's a lot of other guys like that. You obviously look at, you know, Tim Tebow, but then you know, at times I listen to, you know, Marcus Spears. He just yells sometimes. So um, yeah, I, I, I see what ESPN and these shows are, you know, going towards, but at times you wonder, is, is it taking away from those good broadcasters that are not being seen that have the talent to do it? Definitely. 100%. Well, that's all the time we have for today on the Big Apple Sports <laughs> Show. This was episode two. We talked to New York Yankees. Three games left against the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll see if they get in two games up. For the top wildcard spot and the New York football Giants looking to get their first win this weekend against the New Orleans Saints. That was your show today. Cam Manna and Eli Fishman for VIC Radio. We will see you next week. Hey besties, if you love VIC Radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding health care. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow icgenerationaction on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Want to help bring a little more love to your campus community? I see Random Acts of Kindness Club meets every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. in the Business School, Room 104. Stop by to socialize, participate in fun events, get creative, and be kind. For more information, please email randomactsofkindnessic at gmail.com. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the Campus Community Involvement Director.